Well, hopefully you're enjoying this study. It's been uh, fun for me. It's fun to um, sit with a group of friends in our small group and just get to know each other and to really grow into who it is that God's created us to be. It's been such a refreshing thing um, just to be able to have that freedom to say, it's okay to be me. It's okay to be the person that I know that God's called me to be and not have to worry about all these other things that clamor for my attention, that try to get me to be somebody I'm not, right? And um, I know this week, as you continue into the, the book and the chapter, I have to say this, man, the teens are overachievers. And they're like in chapter 9. Where are we at? Six? Wow, way to go. I, I was a youth pastor for 12 years. I couldn't even get them to read a book, so that's good. So we'll see how that works. Um, but I know, too, um, I, I have a sixth grade daughter right now, and um, she is reading this book, too. And I'm telling you, it's, it's really a lot, forcing a lot of questions to come out, which is really a lot of fun, and getting to conver- have a conversation with her. And um, the thing I'm most excited about with her is that she's in that year, those years, those formidable years, where I know a lot of damage that happened to me happened in those years, okay? Um, and so to be able to have something that just says, hey, just be you, is a really, really good resource to, to get in the hands of the kids. So this week... Um, I had this question, and this question that kept going through my head is, what is it? What is it that keeps a grown man uh, from pursuing his dreams? What is it that causes a young girl to, after she's done eating, head into the bathroom and begin to get rid of it? What, what is it that causes um, us to just be paralyzed with fear at the thought of doing something we know we need to do? What is it that keeps us from really experiencing intimacy like we've never had before when God's asking us to come close and we just keep, nope, can't come any closer? What is it? What is it? We could continue to add on to the end of that question. We can continue to put more and more questions out there. But the truth is, is what it comes down to is this, is that freedom is not found when you let go of who you think you're supposed to be. And fully embrace who you really are. The question, the thing is, that the lie in this whole thing is that we don't know the truth about ourselves. Fear keeps us back. Lies hold us down. These things keep us paralyzed at becoming who it is that God's created us to be. And so this week as I was reading this quote, it really got me. Freedom is found when you let go of who you think you're supposed to be and fully embrace who you really are. You see, a lot of those questions that we ask can really be brought down into this, is that we're trying to be somebody we're not. Or we're afraid of what some other person might say or think about us. And so it keeps us stuck. To be honest with you, I think a lot of us have not left middle school. Because that's, what, that's the mindset when you're in middle school. We care what other people think. And, so, and it's amazing how we evolve and we you know, get past that. You know? But the truth is we really don't. We do. At the core of who we are, we care about what each other thinks of each other, right? And so, this week, as we were um, driving home from soccer practice, our, our oldest daughter uh, looked at us in the car, and she said, Dad, Mom, what, is, what does the word label mean? And I'm sitting there going, that's an odd question, you know? And I'm like, well, it uh, depends on the context you're asking it. And then... Uh, she probably could have said, what's context mean, you know? But 
she was asking the question because she wanted to understand what the definition of a label is. And so there's like an iPod transmitter there that we, you know, listen to music on in the car. And I said, well, label can mean a couple different things. It can mean, one, like I could take a sticker or a, or a label and I could write iPod transmitter and I could slap it on there. And anytime you wonder what that is, that label tells you what that is. It's an iPod transmitter, right? Or I said it can be something that we give to somebody or we, we label somebody with. So I could look at Pat and go, Pat's a teacher. Okay, that's true, right? Or I can look at somebody and go, they're a jock. They're dumb. They're poor. They stink like my nine-year-old. You know, like nine-year-old boy. Um, and more laughs. Okay, see, you just got to talk about your kids. There you go. Um, but the thing is, is that we, we look at these things and we label things all the time. So whether it's with a physical label that says, this is an iPod transmitter, or whether it's Pat's a teacher, or whether it's a label that we really don't like. You see, I think a lot of us look at labels that have put, been put on us, and we look at them and go, they're the truth. And why do we believe they're truth? Because they, they have been said, and then somebody's confirmed them in your life, right? Here's the thing I, I learned about labels. Labels lie and do not tell the truth about who you are. Labels lie. In my life, I can tell you that I have built up a ton of labels. I can tell you that my life has been marked by different lies that those labels put, put on me. Let me give you an example. This nice little piece of plexiglass. There's three things as I've learned about my life over the last probably 15, 20 years, 15 years. And really through a lot of counseling, and a lot of it was put on to me by my parents, I think, you know. I, I wonder how many hours my kid's going to be in a counseling chair. Um, but as I began to, like, do this self-exploration, just begin to see, okay, who is it that God's created me to be? Because something right now in my life is not firing right. And so I'm going to begin to look and go, okay, God, what things are out of alignment? What things are not right? What things are not truth about who I am? And it came down to three things that um, I learned about myself. There's all the labels that I kind of had compiled, kind of were able to categorize into three things. First one is who I am is not enough. And I can't write fast enough. Okay. What I have is not enough. And I am not smart enough. Now, the first, ver- first service, I spelled not wrong. So, <laughs> that kind of uh, put another star next to it, you know. Um, but it was these three things. Now, to me... Knowing who I am now and knowing the different things that I've went through in my life and the things that I've had to, to deal with, I know that those three things are not true. And if I could say one thing to you, I would say this over and over again. Labels lie, so don't accept them. Don't accept them. You say, but here's the thing. I've already been labeled. There's already a, 
like if I took a plexiglass shield, I could fill the whole thing up. I could too. <laughs> but the difference is I've chosen not to accept them, right? If I were to give you a piece of plexiglass and I were to say, hey, here's what I need you to do, just so that all of us can understand that we're on the same boat, can everybody just take and write down all the different labels that you've been assigned to that you, li- you live out on a daily basis? And you would begin to, maybe some of you would write victim. Maybe some of you would write people pleaser. Some of you might write sex addict, fake, drunk, goody-goody, religious junkie, stressed, not wanted, dumb, poor, sick, addicted, loser, bitter, mistake, junkie, not good enough, stuck up, ugly, fat, judgmental, fearful. Like, we can just keep going on and on and on. That's just a list of things that I could look at and go, I could probably... Guarantee that somebody in this room would at least carry one of those labels. Here's the thing that really began to sink in this week. Is a lot of us cannot truly embrace what this book and what God's book is talking about, about who we are. Because we live with so many lies about the truth about us. Like I said earlier, we look at our lives and we go, I am marked by this. This is the thing that I live out on a daily basis. These are the way I do things, right? I can't get past these because everywhere I go, this is following me. And so we begin to realize that you will always act out who you believe you are. You will always act out who you believe you are. So if you write victim on here, you're going to act like a victim everywhere you go, right? And here's the thing I know about this, is that you will always respond to somebody according to the lenses that you are looking through. Okay. You're like, why did he write it on a piece of plexiglass? I can't even see what he's writing. Because it's to prove this point. You will always respond to somebody according to the lenses that you look through. If I walk into any situation, say I walk into a meeting this week, and in this meeting I know that I made a mistake. And I know that, oh man, how many times does it torture you, right? Like, oh, I know they're going to talk to me about this. I know they're going to talk to me about this. So you come in all fired up, your guns ablazing, ready to go, you know? And so I come into this with my lens is up, and I'm looking at it going, okay, they're going to, I'm not good enough. Who I am is not really smart enough. So here we go. And something happens. I'm going to begin to look at that situation through this lens, and I'm going to respond according to what I see, or according to how I see myself. Right? A couple of years ago, I went through a book that's probably, um, it's, if not the best leadership book, I believe. It's called Leadership, leadership and Self-Deception. And one of the things it talked about in this book was this idea of when you go into these situations, when you've, you've accumulated all these labels, when you fail to see yourself for who you really are or fail to see other people for who they really are, You walk into these situations with these boxes laying around, and if you're not careful, you're going to trip over your boxes. You're going to trip over who I am is not enough. Because if someone comes at you, you're going to go at them, and what's going to happen? You're going to act out of who you believe you are. Right? So why do we hold up the lens of our... Why do we allow the lens of our life to determine how we see things, how we handle life? You see... As a believer, God says that our identity is no longer this. This does not define who I am any longer. According to his word, he says that I am a new creation. 
The old is gone and the new is what? Come. So I don't have to act out on this anymore. I don't have to worry about this. But you say, but you don't understand. Like, you don't understand how deep these things go. Yes, I do. (laughs) You know why I I don't believe I'm smart enough? Because I got a piece of paper back when I was, uh, I think it was a junior in high school. And on that piece of paper, it had these three letters, A-C-T, and then score. And on that, it said 15. Yeah. I went, uh, oops. You know, I didn't want to take it anyway. You know, and you begin to make up excuses. Oh, I didn't want to be there, and blah, 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 blah. And then, come my senior year, after feeling like this intense calling into ministry, I have even an educator, a teacher, look at me and go, I don't know if you're ever going to be able to put a sentence together. I'm like, ouch. And so I'd be like, start starring this. Like, yep, that's true, that's true, that's true, that's true. Right? All along, it's not. The one thing I do know about who I am in Christ is that each and every one of these things rubs up against who it is that I was created to be. And if the enemy could get me to believe these things, then he's got me paralyzed and I will never do what I'm supposed to do for Christ, for God. Because if I see myself as not smart enough, then I'm sure enough not going to put myself out there to even do what I'm doing today. <laughs> right? Because at any moment, I could be fearful that you would look at me and go, man, what is he? He doesn't even know what he's talking about. Right? And we look at these lenses and we hold them up and go, nope, this, this is what defines me because everybody has validated it. Yep, yep, yep. And the truth is, is this. It doesn't define us. The second thing that I learned about labels this week is this. Don't use them. I was really, really convicted this week. And one of the things I was convicted about is how I use my words. It's easy for me to walk around and just flippantly throw out the word like dummy. You know? Like I look at my kid, hey, dummy, come here. Just joking. I don't believe he's truly dumb. Kid's incredibly smart. Or I look at something over here and I'm like, hey, Smelly, come here. You know, like, I'm like, why am I using those words? Try to be funny, try to be, I don't know. But there was something that God really convicted me on this week. And as I was really praying through this, really asking God, God, what, why, what is this? I wrote this down in my journal and listen to this very carefully. What if the things that come out of our mouths become a prophetic declaration in somebody else's life? Did my teacher in 12th grade mean that? No, I don't think she did. Did I a long time ago? Yeah. Not looking back, I don't. I think she was just having a bad day. Because I think all of us have bad days, and we're free to have bad days every once in a while, right? But what did that do? That became almost a prophetic declaration of how I was going to live out my life. I'm not smart enough. What are some of the words that you've spoken to your kids or that your parents had spoken into you that you find yourself living out right now? Think about it. What are the words that were spoken over you that have kept you from being who it is that God has called and created you to be? Because I can guarantee it goes back to a word spoken or a mistake or a bad decision, whatever you want to put on it. But we begin to live these things out. You see, Ephesians 4.29 says this. It says, Let no corrupting thought come out of your mouth, but only such as 
is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. What if you began to speak encouraging words to your son? What if you began to speak encouraging words into your nephew? What if you began to speak encouraging words into somebody in your life group? You don't know what a, a God-placed word will do in the hearts and life of somebody around you. I can tell you, as many people as I've had in my life that have like thrown little things out that I've accepted that label, I've had probably just as many, if not more, that look at me and go, no, you're not that. You are smart. You are brilliant. You're, I even had a person call me a genius one time. I made a big label, right? You know? But literally, I, it began to change the way I was thinking. I was literally sitting in this, in this office with a friend of mine and we were talking and he looked at me and he goes, can you stop for a minute? Just stop. If I hear you right, what you're saying is you believe that you have a beautiful mind. And I said, yeah, I guess I am. That's new. Why? Because my whole life I'd been telling myself I'm not smart enough, not smart enough, not smart. And then add on top of that the stars I was accumulating for that. Right? You see, labels lie. So don't accept them and don't use them. There's these common sayings that go around quite often. And let's see if you know a few of them. Hurt people what? Say it again. Hurt people? Yep. Or misery loves? Company. So what kind of culture do you begin to create if you're hurt, and if you're miserable. Think about it. You see, we don't realize the power that our words have. We don't realize the power that our choices have. You see, how many times have you looked at something and you you found yourself in a situation and you say something and you go, "Uh, I didn't really mean to say that. I would say, yes, you did. Why? Because you're speaking through how you see yourself. And if you have hurt within, then you're going to speak out of the hurt because you want to protect yourself from getting hurt. Right? Here's the thing. A couple weeks ago, Gail talked about this verse in Hosea, but he also talked about this verse. and It was in John 8. 31 through 32, it said, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Now you're free. Hosea 4, 6, he said, the people are destroyed for the lack of what? Knowledge. What don't we know? What truth don't we understand? Today, I think there's one simple truth that if we could understand and we could grasp it, it would change everything And it would change everything around us, everything within us, how we handle life, how we do everything. And it's simply this. You are loved. You are loved. What if we began to flood our mind with this idea that you and I are loved? Because here's the thing. When we come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior, what we end up doing is... Christ takes the little racer and he begins to wipe these things off. But the thing about us is we have great memories. 
Because I can remember what was written right there. I can remember what was written right here. And I can remember what was written right there. But I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It says that all this is new. This is gone, right? But why is it that I can still see these things? Maybe because I haven't allowed his truth to clean it out. I haven't allowed the truth to be poured in so that the old moves out. Here's one truth that I want you to see. That's probably, for me, has been really marking. It says, this is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Go to your labels for a minute. I challenge you, I dare you to put any of your labels up against the love of God and find out if they stand. Because here's the thing about God's love. He loved us first. So if we hold up this label of addict, God looks at you and goes, you're not an addict. And here's the thing about this. Even before you took on that label, I loved you. See, that thing can kind of, that can go away because guess what? I love you no matter what you're up to. I want to change that. I want to change the way you think so that you can experience true freedom. But he's saying, let me, let me wash it through. Let me get rid of it. If we look at it, we see people pleaser. God goes, I loved you way, 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 way before you were people pleaser. Way before you looked for other people to go, good job, Joey, right? He goes, I loved you. And what if you can make that one truth central and core to your life? Here's what I believe would happen. This church, I know, would not be the same. Your families would not be the same. Your workplace would not be the same. Why? Because you would be saturated by God's love. And when you're saturated in God's love, when that truth has made its way through every aspect of your life, then it begins to wash away all these things. And so when you walk into that, that place, that workplace, that, into the church, into a life group, into wherever you're going, you're not looking at this thing going, I'm worried what people are going to think. I'm worried that they're, they're going to see that I'm not really good enough, that I'm not really smart enough. You're walking into it going, I am loved. You look at it, and you're looking through a lens with red that's written all over, loved, 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 loved. And you're looking through every aspect of your lens. You're seeing, I'm loved, I'm loved. No matter what happens here, I'm still loved. No matter what mistake I make, God still loves me. Right? There's a passage in um, Romans 12 that says this. It says, As so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. This, the kind he will find acceptable, this is truly the way to worship him. There's this picture, a living sacrifice. What does this mean? It doesn't mean you come and you put something dead on the altar. It means you take what is alive and you put it on the altar of God and you say, here you go. You take your life that is completely alive and you willingly sit down on the altar, lay yourself down and say, okay, God, it's yours. And guess what you have the choice to do? You have the choice to get up and walk away. A living sacrifice. If you were to be dead and we offered it to you, you wouldn't have that choice. But God says, I offer you that choice to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Paul says, it says, he pleaded with you. It says, I plead with you, please 
Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Why? It comes in the next part. It says this. Don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world. But let God what? Transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Here's the thing. Let God transform you, not just tweak you. I think a lot of us have satisfied, we're satisfied with the tweaks and not the transformation. Because transformation would require a life change. Transformation would require us to be different. Tweaks allow us to be up to what we were up to and still kind of allow God to begin to like change little things here and there. So I'm getting a little bit better here and there, but not everywhere. Paul's saying, let it transform you from head to toe. Every part of you, transform. Not just tweaked, transformed. This week, um, I really fell in love with um, this passage of Scripture and, or this whole chapter of Romans 8. And as I began to read it this week, there were so many like, deep truths that came out. And I would encourage you, if you have your Bible, if you have some quiet time during the week, take, open up your Bible to Romans chapter 8 and begin to read it. But what I began to discover this week was something that really got me really excited. Why? Because it, it really points to us and says, this is who you are. And this is what God desires of you. And this is what you need to understand and accept. And as I read it, there were some different things that really stuck out to me. The first thing that stuck out to me was that if you're living in the Spirit, the Bible says that you are sons of God. Or if you're a woman, you're a daughter of God. Can mean either. But what it also got me thinking about is this. Okay, God is also called a king. So if we're sons and daughters of God, then we're sons and daughters of a what? King. Okay, this is getting really cool to me. And then I go on and read the next part where it says, we are co-heirs with Christ. The Bible says that Christ was the firstborn of many brothers and sisters, right? And so he says, not only are you sons and daughters of God, you are sons and daughters of a king who have a rich inheritance waiting for them. And if we could just begin to grasp that, watch what is about to happen. Because you will walk around with authority that you've never walked around with before. See, what's always puzzled me is that the church has been given this like mandate, has been given this thing. And up, it's this. As Jesus was leaving this earth, he looked at him and says, you will do exactly what I've done and even greater things you will do. The thing that puzzles me is that we don't even do what Jesus did. And yet we're promised that even greater things can come? Problem is we don't see ourselves the way that God sees us. So we don't live as love. We don't live as somebody that's worthy to have what he's willing to give us. And God looks at us and he goes, but you are. But then there's this next part in the scripture that really got me thinking. And it's, it talks about how creation is like groaning. And it's like waiting. For, and it said this, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. It's like all of creation is waiting for you and I to stand up and be called sons and daughters of God. Waiting for us to rise up into our true identity and inherit what is ours to inherit. 
And then you go on and it talks about the Spirit and it talks about Jesus and it talks about what He did and how He gave us this inheritance and how He longs for us to accept this. But then it goes on and talks about the Holy Spirit where it says that the Holy Spirit is in us praying even when we don't know what to pray. Even when the words from our mouths, the groanings from us, we, we're just, we're lost. We don't know what to do. It says that the Holy Spirit is interceding on our behalf between us and the Father. And what is he interceding for? He's interceding for us to be who it is that we are created to be. He knows the mind and heart of God. And what's the heart of God? For you and I to be who it is that he's created us to be. Not be these false versions. And then he wraps it up with this question that really, really hit me hard. And I'm going to leave it for you to explore. It says, what can separate us from the love of God? What can separate us from the love of God? And he gives this picture. He says, angels, demons, nope. Heights, deaths, nope. And you read through it and he's given all these different examples. He's saying, nope, 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 nope. And he ends with this one word. And I'm sure you know it. I see lips moving saying what it is. But I don't want to tell you. Because I want you to explore it today. And I want you to make it something that you like bury deep within your heart and your mind and say, you know what? There's one truth that trumps all lies. And it's this. You're loved. No matter what's on the board, no matter what you can't see through, you're loved. And so once the board is wiped clear, and even though we still see these things, we also see this word of loved written on there over and over and over again. So every time we walk into a situation, we can know that we are loved. Every time we walk into a job interview, we can know that, you know what, no matter how this, the outcome comes, we are loved. We can look at no matter what my past circumstances said about who I am, it doesn't matter. I am loved at the core of who I am. Those labels lie. So, if we know the truth, the truth will what? Set us free. We are not going to be destroyed by a lack of knowledge because we know that we are loved. So today, here's how I want to close. We're going to play a song. And up here on the TV monitor, there's this little sheet. looks like this. It just simply says loved. And there's two sections of scripture in here. And as you read this section of scripture as this music's playing, I want you to Pull out a pen, pull out a highlight, do whatever you can. And I want you to begin to read it. And I want you to begin to read it with a heart that says, God, what, what is it about your love? What do you need me to understand? What is it that can, can anything separate us? And I want you to allow God to just soak you in his love today. Allow his spirit to work in and through your life to say, no matter what the situation is, you are loved. Can we pray? Because I believe God's got something really big for some of you in this room. And guess what? It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. It's never too late to understand the love of God. And can I tell you something? I wish I could say I know it all. I wish I could say Gail knows everything about it. I wish I could say the oldest person in this room knows everything about it. But I think we will never fully know until the day we stand before him. Paul even talks about, he says, I pray that you would know, the, that you would understand the heights, the depths the, of his love. 
And that word understand in the Greek literally is the word we get our word rust from. He's saying, I pray that it would rust through every part of you. It would eat through every part of who you are so that you understand how much you are loved. So today, can we pray and ask God in the moments ahead that he would just change and transform our hearts. So today to God, would you not just tweak us, but would you transform us? Because God, we know you're developing a church that first and foremost is loved by you. And as we're loved by you, God, your word says that we will love others. As we know that we are loved first, God, it's much easier to love others. And so God, in this moment ahead, as we read your word, may it come alive. God, may it be like the the surgeon's scalpel. May it cut through all the lies. And may it transform us into the people that you've called us to be so that we can see your world changed. In Jesus' name. that this morning, my hope, my prayer is that you discovered that there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Absolutely nothing. So if we understand that absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God, then we also understand that there's nothing that I can achieve, there's nothing that I can do to make God love me more. And there's nothing that I've done, nothing that I can ever do that would make him love me any less. You and I are just loved. And the thing I love about that song, it's one of my favorite songs, but it says, I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way he loves us. If you know anything about that song, that song was written after he lost a friend. And he really did not want to sing anymore. He didn't want to do anything. And he wrote it going, God, can you accept somebody that's just really angry and really ticked off at you right now? And he said, in all that God is, in all who he is, he says, bring it all here. Because no matter what, you're loved. So today I pray and this week I pray that love is what marks your life. And I pray that it marks your life so much that as you walk into your business, as you walk into your homes, everything's different this week. And you would allow him to take those areas, those things that you have not been able to let go of, and you allow him to wash it with his love. Because here's the thing. God's got a big plan in store for each of our lives and for this church. And I believe that's what he's calling this community to be, is a community of love. Loved people. Who just as, John, if you write this down, John uh, 4, 19, it says, and now because we were loved first, let us love others. So go this week and trust God that he's going to do some incredible things in and through your lives as you live in his love. We love you guys. We'll see you next week.